whistle is blowing, and that signals another episode of the Entrepreneur's Locker Room Chat with a Champion. Your host, Steve Brosman, a former national track champion, multi-Amazon best-selling author, and successful entrepreneur, interviews leaders in their field to give you the tips, shortcuts, and strategies to help you change the game you play. And now your host, Steve Brosman. There goes the whistle. It is kickoff time. The Entrepreneur's Locker Room Chat with the Champion. In fact, we're chatting with a champion coach, Greg Layton himself. Welcome along, Greg. Thanks, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here, mate. Look, the reason I call him a champion coach, because it wasn't that long ago that he was coaching and doing a lot of work with high-level athletes, high-performing athletes, Martina Navaratlova, super rugby teams. But he's turned all those talents now to being an executive coach, coaching executives to really fulfill what they're wanting out of their business and their personal life. So, Greg, we're going to turn back the clock because I'm going to get into the sports side of things first, because I'm a sports nut. Tell us about uh, the coaching of people such as uh, Martina. How was that? Well, Martina's a, like, she's one of the greats of all time, you know, and, and that it seems to me that even at the very, very top, even those that are just amazing at what they do, if you've got the right sort of systems in place, you can help them. Now, Martina, the one thing I really got from her, the impression was, she just really wanted to get a better outcome for her client. Like she was coaching Agnes from Vanska at the time and I was helping Martina yep. with the coaching process essentially. And oh. what, was, what was going on was they'd get into a major tournament like the Aussie Open or the US Open and what they were really battling with was high quality review between matches. Mm-hmm. So you'd imagine uh, Agnes comes off court, she's exhausted, she's maybe played a couple of sets against a top player, she's gotten through to the next round, she's got this 24, 48-hour period before she's got to be back on the court again. And so what we worked on was just that sequence of events so that they were optimised between when she came off the court and when she went back on again. Now, what was actually happening was Martina and the other coaches were going straight into review, even on the warm-down bike. Now, what actually happens as a result of that is there's no perspective. Uh, the athlete isn't as fully engaged as, as she could be. The quality of data they were putting together wasn't as good. So we actually created this bit of a better process, let the athlete fully recover. We use recovery as a weapon, as something to help them re-energize, give her some time and space. During that time and space, the coaching team go away and prepare a presentation, make it very sharp, get all the data, use video analysis. Then they'll come together and they do a really high-quality, detailed review then they do the preparation for the next match. Now, they're just getting one or two things around the wrong way and it was resulting in not a very smooth process between the two. Now, that seems like something that's pretty straightforward. Like, it sort of makes sense, right? But even the best of the best, they've all got systems they're trying to improve. And I suppose that's a thing that I was able to help her with is just work out how you can make and optimise some of the systems they were using. So let's wind the clock back even further. Yeah. How did you get into that and how did you start developing those processes and systems? Well, I started out in business. Actually, I, like I was a, like came out of university, went into business, traveled the world, did all those sort of things there. As a young backpacker and just lover of life, I was just a real adventurer and you know, free spirit. And what ended up happening is around about 2005, 2006, I went through this metamorphosis. I had a few things go against me and I... I just spiraled and I realised I had no resilience for what was going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate enough at the time to have a, a mentor who sort of grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and pulled me up and said, hey, listen, mate, you could be doing a hell of a lot better than you are. You're, you're a great guy. You, you've got good natural talent, but you don't work hard enough and you don't look deep enough within you. 
So that mentor, his name was Chad, he sort of sent me on this journey, which uh, I'm forever grateful. I became a bit of a self-help nut, read like 100 books in a year or something. Then I re-educated myself in things like uh, neurolinguistics, hypnosis, um, behavioral economics, and a lot of the high performance systems that go behind a lot of the elite sporting teams. Right, good. My dream at that time was to go into elite sport, not really business. Um, But I quickly found that while I loved the energy of elite sport, I enjoyed the process of coaching people in business more. Just got more out of it. Now, one of the things that uh, I've read about you, which is quite amazing, that you actually lived and trained with the uh, the Shaolin monks. Uh, tell us why. <laughs> <laughs> why? And then most importantly, what you got out of it and then what could we use from that? Okay. So uh, why? Because I was completing a project in a high-performance psychology course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in all, the... the the end outcome of that is you have to submit a project where you model a high performer. That is, you replicate the performance of a high performer. Right. And I'd looked at these Shaolin guys on TV or, <laughs> or YouTube and thought, these guys are nuts. I mean, they're, they're throwing you know, needles through panes of glass. They're you know, lying down on swords. It didn't look possible to me. So I thought, these guys are either exceptional magicians or they are, can do some stuff that doesn't really make any sense to the, to the average person. So I found out a way to get in through the gates and about six months later, after I did a little bit of training myself to get myself ready, I found myself at the gates of a monastery, like these five metre high walls. Wow. Um, it was about uh, you know, ankle deep in snow. It was very austere, right out in the middle of nowhere in China in the mountains. Um, these big iron gates open up and they let me into this inner sanctum, so to speak, and I live very simply. Um, we train 12 hours a day in uh, Tai Chi, Qigong, uh, Kung Fu, kickboxing. Uh, we did these crazy power stretching where you do the splits and someone would sit on your back and push you down and someone else would kick your feet out. And it was very old, old, old school training um, that, was, that was really, really brutal. But somehow every day you got up and you were fine. Like I was never injured the entire time I was there. Um, and it was... I mean, some of the hardest, most, or definitely the hardest, most brutal training I've ever done. I mean, we were punching trees. Like, it was nuts. I mean, literally. It was just the craziest training I've ever done. So, it's everything um, you see on TV and more. For, exactly. For it is. And it is for real. So, um, what, what can we take away from it? I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. One of the guys in my troop, he was, there was a couple other internationals there. And this guy was an Irish guy. He was going to learn how to break a brick on his head. Now, well, who does that? I mean, wh- why would you do it? Now, let me tell you, exactly, shrug your shoulder. Why would you do that? Let me, tell you, let me tell you the quick story. So we all had shaved heads like, like you would over there. He starts doing this exercise when he finds out. So you know when you go in like a downward dog position in yoga, you're on your feet and your hands. You take away your hands, you cross them behind your back, and then you put your head on the ground. So he's top of his skull and feet with his ass right up in the air, Right. And he starts rolling back and forth on the top of his skull and side to side to toughen up the skin because if you would have, otherwise the skin would split and you'd bleed everywhere, right? So you toughen up the skin, you toughen up the muscles in your neck. He's doing qigong meditation and it goes on and on and on. Then about, oh, I think six weeks out, they break a brick on his head, but it's very brutal, right? It's like level one. Then another week later, they do a bit more bit more tough and harder and harder and harder. By the time he got to the stage where he did this in front of a thousand people, I knew he was going to be fine. I knew it. 
There was never a doubt in my mind. And he was all zoned out, like meditating, practicing Qigong. They literally just uh, moved him into the middle of the stage, sat him down. He sat there for a minute or two. They walked over, got one big brick put on his head, got another one, smashed it down. It all shattered like glass. It was unbelievable. And he um, stood up, bowed the audience and walked off and just said it was unbelievable. So why would you do that? Because you start to realize that there is a process to excellence. None of this, they're either magicians or there's something unbelievable about them. And if anybody wants to achieve something amazing through their business or their work or their career or their sport, there is a process of excellence. You have to learn that process, dot every I, cross every T, because that is how you make amazing things happen. So you've taken that and, and with your high performance sports teams and you've transferred mm. that across. And one of the things that you say is to get anywhere and to get to the highest level, there needs to be a consistent energy and discipline. Yes. So how do you apply that with your executives that you're working with and some of the things that you're doing with them? Yeah, well, there's a few things we do with the executives. Number one, I think it's really important to understand what actually goes on in that environment. The first thing that happens is in the, the intensity of the complexity of large corporates, it's fast moving. It can just be, can just be overwhelming. So you can, it's almost like you get on a treadmill. Like, Stephen, have you ever seen someone trying to get off a treadmill? Right? <laughs> Sometimes not successfully, yes. You've probably I have. seen the epic <laughs> fails right on, on YouTube. It's just hilarious to watch. The thing is, when you're on a treadmill and you're running like crazy, you don't know what to do except to run faster or put more things on your back. Yep. And you just end up burning out. So what I've worked with executives on is getting off the treadmill safely pressing stop, right? Getting away to the side and never getting on the treadmill again. We create a really clear action plan. What is their vision, the mission, the strategy for getting there as an individual and as a team, making sure they know what their unique value proposition is or how they're going to add value to the company they work for. And then we put in this metronomic system that sort of goes every month, every quarter, every year. This is how we check in the questions we ask to make sure we don't lose focus. When you've got this, metric, this metronomic system in place, it gets you off the treadmill for good. So if you're, let's say you got, you know, some of your listeners will be in small business and maybe they've had no growth for years. There is a reason for that, right? They don't have the right system in place that says, hey, every month we're going to come together and do a strong analysis as to what is the root cause of our current financial results or sales results. If you're not looking for that, you will never grow. So we put in place the vision, the system, then we help them develop to develop their people and their entourage and their network. So they're surrounded by people that, we're going, that are going to help them and they're going to help the other people in return to get to their goals. Now, that's something that most entrepreneurs could actually implement themselves without having to be as large as a large. You know, like you work with multi-billion dollar corporations and, and, and people at the mm -hmm. highest level. But what you've said is quite easily implementable for virtually a solopreneur is just gathering the right people around and putting some systems in place and virtually treat their business as a corporation. Exactly. And what, what I actually do with, with senior executives is say, you are a financial services professional, sorry, not financial, a professional services firm, right? Your, your service is what a company is buying full-time, right? You're a full-time purchase, right? Now, if we can make you stand out and do a great job, then you'll get a lot of more business down the track, more opportunities, people pay more for you as you go along. Same with a solopreneur. And I all got this five-step great method, game plan, routines, entourage, assets, track record. And this is what we work on. So if you're a solopreneur, you go, what is your game plan? Like what's the vision for you and your business? 
How are you going to stand out? You've got that wonderful book of yours, Stand Out. And you know what? If you don't stand out, no business is going to come your way. So put the right game plan in place. Get the routines. So the routines is that rhythm I'm talking about. Entourages surround yourself with peers, mastermind, clients, suppliers that are high quality so you can rise. Assets are what you're good at, what you're absolutely brilliant at. It's your experience you bring to the table. And track record is what ends up selling. If you've got a track record of good stuff, people will buy from you no matter what. That sounds like it's at least one, if not two chapters out of your bestseller that's sitting over your shoulder called The Chief Makers, How to Rise Above the Pack and Get a Seat at the Executive Team. And what you were saying is basically that, as, as how you can treat yourself as that person to stand out within the corporation. Um, so what are other great lessons would, uh, would somebody get out of The Chief Maker book? Well, we start the book off with a bit of a talk about this treadmill scenario. And one of the things I noticed, and I remember chatting to this CEO of this um, enormous mining company I was working with, fantastic guy, big bear of a man. And I, I said to him, you know, I've got this little saying and it says, ownership precedes victory. Essentially, it's accountability precedes success. And I said, what do you think about that? And he said, it's not just that we believe ownership precedes victory. He's talking about CEOs in general. He says, we seek out opportunities to take ownership. If there's a part of the business that isn't working, we go after it. We want it to thrive. And you know what? If we're successful, we share the spoils, right? And if we fail, we take the blame ourselves. So the mindset of being bold and taking ownership of all the things that aren't working in your life and your career, that's how we start off. Because that's, that's the mindset of a chief. Ownership precedes victory. And again, for those who are an entrepreneur, there are so many parallels and so many lessons, just different levels between executives and those running their own business. And if we really believe that we're running a, uh, a serious corporation and, and we treat it as such, and then we report to ourselves, our own board, mm-hmm. and we take ownership. And that's one of the biggest things. That, that's fantastic for, uh, for our people to, uh, to take away. Now, you've obviously implemented some of your own high performance and learnings from the Shaolin because you've done a couple of crazy things. And I'm, I'm a sprinter, so my theory was anything with a bell in it was for dogs and horses. But you've oh. run marathons across the Gobi and the Atacama yeah. Desert. Again, I'm going to ask you the question, why? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but how was that? Yeah, look, it was intense. And look, Steve, I was like you. I started out a sprinter, like not as fast as you were, but like I was a winger at school. Like I was all about speed, you know. And, and uh, you know, as I got older, I maybe lost a bit of toe. And then I, I was going through this metamorphosis where I wanted to know what I was personally capable of. I, I alluded earlier that I just felt like I didn't have any resilience and I felt like I needed to go out there and build some and put some platforms or some things in place that made me feel like I could actually do anything. Uh, and that's, that was the real initial um, motivation behind going to the Gobi, the Gobi Desert Crossing. And um, so that was the why, I think. I wanted to know what I was actually capable of and no, no more taking the easy path, looking deep within myself, working, working really hard to achieve something big. Uh, what was it like? By crock, man, it was hard. <laughs> man, yeah, you know, 250Ks, uh, you're carrying a pack the whole way, you sleep on the desert floor in a little tent, um, they give you nothing um, except water every 10K. So you've got to carry all your food for an entire week when you're out there. Um, and, you know, so you're carrying this 10-kilogram 10, 10 pack and you've got to run a marathon every day. And then one day you've got to run a double marathon, 80Ks. Um, so 
ridiculously hard, very hot in the day, cold at night. Well, I've actually, uh, I'm sorry for butting in, but I've just had two of my buddies do the Simpson Desert one, 250K, oh, wow. look in the last couple of weeks and followed them through. Yeah. So, mm. uh, wow, what you did in the, in the Gobi and obviously the Atacama. Yeah. Um, let's touch on that because you've worked with high-performance athletes and high-performing yeah. executives what do you feel is the major difference between somebody who does reach those heights and, and somebody who just potentially, like I've been a, a high performance coach as well. I've coached people mm. to the Olympics and I've, mm. I see potential champions walking around every day that could have been better than other people, but they've not yes. taken the next step. What in your opinion helps people get to, be the high performer is it raw talent is it attitude is it the the grit what do you think is a combination yeah well i think all of those are true like i don't think you can you can discount those those very important factors i when i talk about ownership precedes victory i think there are five things because i think that's where it starts with if you don't take some ownership of week of your current situation and say i want to do something epic or i want to do something great or i want to be a master at my craft if you don't start with that ownership you never get anywhere um, a lot of a lot of people I find who who have been successful just immediately take ownership. They don't even think about it. But there there are some natural blockers, I think, to ownership. The the first one just is belief. Like, do you believe in yourself? And have you had some hits when you were young? Maybe your music teacher said something to you that was just off the cuff and wasn't nice. Or maybe a teach look anyone in your childhood. We we carry those beliefs with us with a heavy heart for a long time, and a lot of those beliefs are just, they're just made up. They're not even real. Um, so I think belief is one. I think number two is isolation. Um, you just, or, or you're surrounded with the wrong people, right? So right. You're, yep. you're trying to do something cool, but you just try and work it out yourself. And then you get three steps on the way and you fail. Um, and that's just not how high performance works in any way, shape or form. Performance is always with a number of different coaches to help you get there. Um, it's with good mentors, it's with other teammates, whether they're like you're actually on your team or another athlete that you can hang out with. Like you were in an individual sport sprinting, mate, but I bet you had some great other mates that drove you, you know? Same with business, you know? So I think there's this, there's isolation, there's belief, um, there's this pure capability. And I think a lot of the time people maybe come through school, maybe they've done their school, maybe they've done a bit more study, maybe they haven't, but what they are is a bit of a generalist but they're not a master of anything. And as a result, they haven't learned this, this process of becoming awesome at something. And because they've never learned that, no matter what it is, they don't know how to replicate that somewhere else. So I think just that process, if someone was like, oh, I don't know, I don't really think I could achieve something great. You know what I recommend you do is pick something big and go and do it or pick a hobby that you love or something and just become the best at it. Like, become, like you've become famous for these, you know, video tutorials and selling. Like that's what you are brilliant at, like better than anyone. Like if someone else worked out that, right, or their thing that was a congruent with who they were, then all of a sudden they would jump out of maybe their normal life and find some new opportunities in the world. I love that you started with belief because mm. it's, it's a big thing for people and to be able to, to believe in yourself that you could be, that something and it doesn't have to be uh, the biggest and the best at something that is you know striven for by so many other people but just take that unique part of you and go and, and be really yeah. good at that and that's 
that's something that a lot of people, particularly in business and the entrepreneur world, don't have a belief in themselves. And you know that I help coach people through the authority factor and uncover that. And they don't believe that they could be an authority. But when you dig down, they're really good at that one thing that they do. Yeah. And that is different to other people. And for you to say, yeah, belief and believe in themselves, that's where so many people fall down. And the other thing that you said, which is brilliant, is, yeah, a lot of uh, solopreneurs and professionals and things like that, they believe that they've got to do it on them, on their own by themselves. Yeah, yeah. And to reach out to other people may mm. seem as a failing. But uh, I've worked with high-level professionals, as you've worked with high-level professionals, but we're one of their team. We're not the only one. We're one of their team of coaches and supporters that they've got to get there. So as an entrepreneur who wants to get to the top, build, as you call them, the entourage. Build your team around you because mm. you know, not one supporter will do everything. So what you're mm. saying there is just ringing true, A, to my ears and should be to everybody that's listening to this podcast. Have belief in yourself, build your team around you and then just you know, take undying action. That's right. I think so. Just a couple of final comments, I think, on this. I was chatting to a guy recently called Adam Carroll. He's got one of the top TED Talks of all time, like several million downloads. And I said, what's the biggest mistake people make? And he said, they wait. <laughs> they wait for someone else to realise or tell them how great they are. <laughs> you know what? And I just thought it was so true. We sit around waiting and there's this, I used to watch all these ski movies um, by Warren Miller. And Warren Miller has this line at the end of the ski movie. He goes, if you don't do it this year, you'll be one year older when you do. And he said, every single movie. And it's so true. If you don't do it now, you'll be a year older when you do. Or if you don't do it next year, then you'll be two years. So do it now, right? <laughs> the second thing, there's a little trick that I once learned, right? If you want to become an expert in something or be able to actually really drive, drive your performance up, here's what you do. Go onto Amazon and find, find the top five to 10 books on a particular topic. Buy those books, bring them home, read every single one of them, do a mind map of all the content, study them in depth, then do one mind map of all the lessons, right? This will probably take you maximum, I reckon, three, four weeks, maybe six weeks, right? And after that six-week period, you will have the combined knowledge of all the leaders in your field right now. So your expertise will have absolutely skyrocketed because that's what you're doing. You're standing on the shoulders of people that have spent their whole life already doing this who then put all that in a book for you. <laughs> you, you do that for everyone. You do that for six or seven different of the best books and then you are absolutely rocketing. And then you can go to a conference and you can speak to people and have some understanding and then you can work in your own business on becoming the expert at that. So it's just a little trick I learned once and it's, it's certainly helped me along the way when I get stuck on a topic, I go and read three or four of the best books by the best people. And the great thing is always that information that's out there and you can, yeah. you can go and get it. You can, you can pay a small amount for it. You can pay a large amount for it by getting uh, tutored, mentored and coached. So yeah, that's right. information is always out there. Well, the time has come. We're on to the Fast and Furious 5. Wow. So as you want to on this. Okay, right. The, the Fast and Furious 5. So the first question that I'm going to ask you is what non-business sport or activity would you want to be a champion of? Oh, I think back in the day it would have been rugby, without a doubt. Um, but these days it's golf. Yeah, you, you've said that you're uh, you're an avid golfer and adventurer, a uh, and a father of twins. So yes, uh, right. yeah. Yeah. that in itself is adventurous. 
Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'll have a story. I'll have a story, Steve. <laughs> what one personal thing would you want other people to know so they could get to know you better? Um, so they could get to know me better. Um, do you mean, uh, not sure what you mean, like, about we'll me? Just get to understand you a little more. Um, the one thing I think I'd like people to know about me is that I... Um, when I coach people, there is a real strategy and a system to it. It's not, it's not off the cuff. I'm not a, I'm not a classic motivator, I'm not a stage seller. I'm, I really do take a very systematic approach to helping life a step change in performance. Brilliant, okay, I love that one. What one habit would you like to change if you haven't already changed it? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, oh, I... Um, I think it's on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> Slicing, hooking, <laughs> or yeah, just missing I, the hole. I would say the inconsistency of my driver on the golf course right now is a habit I'm working hard on changing and would love to have improved. <laughs> Sensation. <laughs> Who's had the most influence in your life? Uh, well, I think my family um, has been enormous um, and I can't thank enough for the support over all the years. And I then I think I've had a couple of Mentors professionally that have been enormous. Uh, Dr. Chad, who is my mentor in Canada, uh, and a couple of business coaches, which have just helped me really understand uh, how to take our game to a new level. Fantastic. Now, the last one is an interesting one, is if you were to be the answer to a quiz show question, what would you want the question to be? Ah, who is the chief maker? <laughs> <laughs> The founder of the chief maker, the yeah, writer of the right. book, yeah, he yeah. is the chief maker. So that's, that's, right. that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> Who is the chief maker? Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That is Mr. Greg Layton. So if there are people out there that uh, would love to get hold of you and, uh, and find out more about it or get hold of your book, because I believe it should be something that uh, entrepreneurs and uh, execs do read, how do they get hold of you, Greg? Well, just through the website, mychiefmaker.com.au is the best place. Uh, the book is there. The Inner Chief podcast is there. Look, check it out. We'd love to connect with you. Um, all my socials are on there. That's the best place to go. Yep. There's some great uh, podcast topics on there as well. I've spent some time through mm. there and there's some great people on board. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and expertise from uh, high performance athletes through to executives. And I know that as an entrepreneur, we need to take uh, notice of what these people are doing. So uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Fantastic. Okay, if you like that one, make sure you do subscribe. Jump over and see us at the Entrepreneur's Locker Room Facebook page as well. And we're going to have another fantastic chat with a champion coming up real soon. Cheers. Well, that's full time on this episode, but don't forget to subscribe, rate, and we'd love you to leave a comment. Head over to the Facebook group, The Entrepreneur's Locker Room, where there'll be some great bonus content to help you step up and play a bigger game.